But we are in the fourth week of our seven habits to become the best version of yourself series. It's all about growing your faith. And uh, we've talked about several habits. If you can remember for the past few weeks, we've been talking about the habit of wisdom. You know, what will happen if I do this? And do I want that? Do I want that in eternity? Peacemaking, really good, really important. And then last week we talked about satisfaction, right? Dealing with feelings of busyness. I like last week's message, you know, the jars, the fill up. Anyway, um, this week is Mission Sunday. And uh, missionaries fulfill God's mission for their life, hence the name missionaries, right? And some of you might ask, what is a missionary? What do they actually do? Jesus tells us specifically what the mission of missionaries is. It's therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations. And the key word there is nations. We misuse the word missions trip all the time. A missions trip is not relief work. Um, That might be a vision trip. That's a godly work trip. It's good work. But missions is making disciples of nations, and usually nations of the earth that don't have the name of Jesus yet. In Genesis 12, God told Abraham that someday all the nations of the earth would be blessed through him. That's a big part of his movement. It's part of the move of God on earth. And uh, that's, that's God's mission for us is to reach the nations. And some people ask me, they ask me, they say, hey, Pastor John, uh, when, is, when is the end times coming? Do you think we might be living in the end times? It's a preoccupation of Christians to ask this question. They love it. They say, Pastor, I saw the BP oil spill in the Gulf of Mexico, dark in the ocean. Do you think that's, uh, we're living in the end times? You know, sometimes a lot of people come up to me and say, Pastor, I heard that Hillary Clinton is a lizard person. Do you, th- <laughs> do you think that we're living in the end times? Or they'll say, Pastor, I heard that Tucker, Tucker Carlson is a right-wing robot put there by the Chinese, and he might even be the Antichrist. Do you think we're living in the end times. And I get asked stuff all the time. I say, hey, listen, guys, guys, guys. The Bible tells us clearly that only God the Father knows. Jesus himself tells us this. But in the disciple John's prophetic book called Revelation, John actually has a vision of what the end times will look like. He has a vision of heaven. God shows him a vision of heaven. And in heaven, he says, after this, I saw a vast crowd too great to count. So lots of people in heaven from every, this is critical, nation and tribe and people and language standing in front of the throne before the Lamb. So God tells Abraham, I'm going to bless all the nations of the earth through you. And then, and then Jesus says to Christians, your mission is to make disciples of all the nations. And then John, at the end of day, sees all the nations reached in heaven. And this is like the theme of the Bible. So missionaries are people who help carrying out God's mission to reach the nations with the message of Jesus so that Jesus will come back sooner which is kind of cool, like that's a big mission. This is why our church every year gives away nearly $200,000 to missions and missionaries and stuff that's outside of the ministry of this church. And this Sunday, we're here to learn about and support our missions. And this week, um, I've got a really important habit to talk about. From a biblical perspective, it's one of the more important habits. It's a big habit in the Bible. This week, I wanna talk about the habit of mission. Being a missional person is living life with a specific purpose. And I think it's interesting because most of us, we don't have a mission in our life. Our goal is to not die. You know what I mean? Our goal is to not go bankrupt, to pay our mortgage. I mean, what are we just doing? We're just, just going. What are you doing in life? I don't know. I mean, I'm just getting her done, you know? Get, get it done, you know, until I get old. You know, and I need a knee, knee, knee replacement. And that's what I'm doing. I'm just going, you know, until I wear out and then I'll die. And I guess I'll see Jesus, I suppose. You know, things work out. That's like our life. There's no purpose. I want to ask you, have you ever experienced a loss of mission, a loss of passion, or a loss of interest? It's amazing to me how easy it is to lose focus on God's mission for our life. I married my wife thinking we're going to change the world. We're going to be a power couple. 
We're going to reach people. That's not how I actually talk inside my head. I have a big Minnesota accent inside my head. We're going to change the world. We're going to reach people far from God. We're going to do great stuff, you know. Say hi to your folks for me, right? Oh, oh you know, that's Minnesota. Let's go fishing. Let's, uh, let's reach people, whatever. And there are times we're living out this mission. We'll have a big bunch of people over to our house for dinner, 20, 30 people, you know, and then at 10 o'clock, I'm putting the dishes away, and I've been fighting with Kristen for an hour because I'm just a cranky jerk, and I like to start fights when I'm tired and cranky. And you know when you get real cranky and you're slamming stuff into the dishwasher, wham, bam, ba, 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 you know, and uh, I'm like, why am I even doing this? I lose sight of mission all the time. Have you ever worked super hard to achieve something? I don't know what it is, but you're passionate about it. You love it. It's a good and important thing, and when you get halfway there, you're living on a prayer. You realize you can't even remember why you're doing this. You don't even care anymore. You're like, what am I doing? Why am I doing this? It's a huge deal. This happens all over our life. Today, I want to show you how to live a life with a mission in your life in a way that allows you to stay focused, passionate, and successful the whole way. And if you struggle with this, I think you're really going to like this message, regardless of what you believe. Whether you're Christian, non-Christian, lapsed Christian, Catholic Christian, atheist, or agnostic, this habit and understanding it will bless your life. Jesus was laser focused on mission, big time. You think about the temptation that he no doubt faced in his life. A lot of temptation, political power and wealth was no doubt a temptation for him. I mean, the disciples all the time were like, Jesus, you need to, you need to seize power. You need to take it, it's yours. And uh, it would be pretty tempting to become the king of Israel. It'd be pretty tempting to become the emperor of Rome. You know, I mean, I could get that. It would also be pretty tempting to lose sight of your mission just chilling with your friends. I mean, think about Jesus. Here's this dude who's super cool, everybody likes him, and he can literally multiply food. Hey, I'm hungry, no problem, got this. He could turn water into wine. Jesus could spend his whole life turned down for wedding. You know what I mean? He could have an awesome time with his friend. I mean, that's big temptation, but Jesus stayed focused on his mission his whole life. What did he do that allowed him to stay focused on reaching the nations? The Bible actually gives us a big clue. How did Jesus, what was the mindset that allowed him to stay focused on his mission? John 1, 14 tells us, it says, the word Jesus became flesh and he made his home, his dwelling among us. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, and this is critical, full of grace and truth. The big thing, the mindset that allowed Jesus to stay focused on his mission was grace and truth. Sounds like a really easy thing to do. Doesn't sound like, I mean, it's just two words, you know, grace and truth. I mean, the Bible says a lot of things. You hear that and you're like, blah, 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 blah. God dwelling, whatever. Pastor's gonna explain it anyway, I'm not listening, right? But grace and truth matters. This is how Jesus reached the nations. If you want a heart for the nations, if you want a heart for God's mission in your life, if you want the ability to connect with people who are different than you, even if you're not a Christian, you must learn to walk in grace and truth. I think the church today has a huge grace and truth problem. We don't care about the nations. We don't care about refugees. We don't care about church beyond this. We just kind of, you know, do our thing in America and whatever, and we don't think about anything else. Grace and truth is super hard for people to stay focused on. It's a balance. Grace and truth is like the neutral space between two magnets. Okay, imagine magnet here, magnet here, and you're a piece of metal between the two. You just want to go that way, want to go that way. It's really hard to stay centered. Yet staying centered on grace and truth is what allowed Jesus to stay focused on his mission. Most people have a nature that easily does one but not the other. We can either easily focus on grace, but not truth, or we can easily focus on truth, but not grace. And Jesus gives us this incredibly clear mission, go make disciples of all the nations. Why don't we do it? Because we're not centered on grace and truth. And here's what happens. Here's what happens, okay? For those of us on the left, grace is easy, but truth can turn into lies. That's what happens. 
we make excuses for people. Oh, just give them a break. It's fine, whatever. And then for those of us on the right, truth is easy, but grace turns into hate. It's their fault, sir. But let me give you some examples that'll be helpful. Think about having a son who's struggling in school. Okay, imagine a kid. You got a son, he's struggling in school. I know some of you, you don't have sons or whatever. Imagine you do. Those of us who tend towards grace and lies, oh, we compromise on truth. My son is just special. He's just a little angel from heaven. He's a genius and his teachers just don't understand. He needs a little extra help. He just needs, he needs to be fought. You know, the reason why he lit the school on fire last week and the reason why he does all this stuff is constantly swearing as a kindergartner in class is because he's just gifted and the teachers don't see his giftedness, right? What is that? That's lies, grace and lies. And we see this, you know, you know that mom that makes excuses for her son who's possessed by the devil and it's like, hey, you know what? Maybe your son's just crazy. No, it's grace and lies, isn't it? Then you get that other parent who tends towards truth and hey, they tell it like it is. You meet that person, I just tell it like it is. My son's an idiot. You know what I mean? He's just lazy. You know, he had the smarts, but what a loser. My son's a loser, right? It's all truth, no grace. It's hate, it's hate, it's hate. And the farther right you get, the less graceful you become. The farther left you get, the less honest you become. Now, what most people don't realize is that eventually on the far left and the far right of the spectrum, you end up in the exact same place. Isn't it interesting? You're opposite, but the same. See, when you get to the far left and the far right, you compromise on both grace and truth, and all you do is hate and lies. You can't see the forest for the trees. You can't have a dialogue with somebody who's different than you, and it's da-da-da-da-da, and they're bad, and whatever, and you start being the same. On the left, it was grace and lies, right? It was my son is just misunderstood. Grace and lies turns into hate and lies. His teachers ruined his life. They're the reason he's in jail now because they ruined his life. And I will never, ever forgive the teachers who ruined his life. Some of you teachers, you know what it's like to have a parent who's full of grace and lies, who becomes hate and lies. On the right, my son is a loser becomes my son is a lecherous, despicable disappointment. He's a leech on society who's a total embarrassment. I wish he was never born, right? Hate and truth becomes hate and lies. In my marriage to Kristen, we actually each struggle with the opposite thing. And I think all of you can, obviously, by knowing me, you know I struggle with grace and lies. I'm just too nice. Just kidding. Not at all. Um, I struggle with hate and truth, for sure. And uh, when we get a fight with our extended family, I'll get all spun up. You know what I mean? I get all spun up. I'm like, this is ridiculous. I'm going to call him right now. Dude, 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 dude. Chris is like, no. I'm like pretending like we have an old phone, which we don't. Remember those old phones? Like, you can ding, hang them up so hard, the bell inside would ring. Like, that felt good. You know what I mean? You really give it to it. Like, ding. You know what I mean? Like, sometimes I go, bam, 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 when I was really mad. I got problems. But anyway, I can fix this. I can. She's like, no, calm down. Don't tell me to calm down. You calm down, right? I get all the way to hate and lies. My wife, she struggles with grace and lies. Oh, she's so tolerant. She says, oh, it'll be okay, John. I don't need to talk to them because they probably already know. And I'll just give them another chance before I deal with it because they probably had a hard day. And I'm like, let me talk to them. Put me in, coach. She's like, no. I'm like, babe, I'm like a caged lion. God made me to roar. Cut me free. Let me go get them. I'll bite their heads off. And she's like, no, no, bad, bad, John, bad. Because here's the truth. I get stuff done. I mean, hate and lies people, or not hate and lies, hate and truth people, we get stuff done in the short term, but we wound people's hearts in the long term. Hate and lies people, you know what? We raise sons and daughters. They can change the world. They get stuff done. They're successful, and they're emotionally stunted. Wounded hearts. You don't have a relationship that's very good with your kids. 
Grace and lies people, oh man, you love your kids. They call you when they're in trouble all the time, but usually it's from jail. And it's not good. That's where you're at, right? And that's what we produce. We produce different ends of the spectrum. The key is to walk in grace and truth. My wife, she preserves people's hearts in the short term, but she damages people's future in the long term by not confronting, by being too soft. And eventually, there's a mountain of unresolved conflict that you can't even get through. And you end up, when you let this go, you both end up in the same place, hating lies. And what's really interesting about the far right and the far left is they end up in the same place, demonizing people, the other people in your life. This happens in so many areas. Relationships, marriage. You know what's amazing is when I do premarital counseling, everybody, oh, pastor, we never fight. No, we never. You know, we just get along. We did your pre-marriage counseling and everything was good for us. It's like we didn't even need it. Three months later, all of a sudden, because at the start, when you're dating, you're in grace and truth, man. You can be confronted. Oh, baby, I'm sorry. No, I'm sorry. Like, thank you. You're polite. You're kind. But when you get sucked to either side of this spectrum, all of a sudden, you're living in grace and lies, hate and truth, you know, and you're starting to call it like it is, and you're starting to brush it under the rug, and all of a sudden, you're in hate and lies and hate and lies, and I hate you, and you hate you and I hate me and everybody hates and you can't even talk without getting in a fight. You can't even empty the dishwasher without being like, I wish you had, right? And that's what happens in marriage. Workplaces, you ever had a boss who's grace and lies or hate and truth? When you got a grace and lies boss, it's like, why are we planning a birthday party when the building is on fire? Like we are going to go out of business next week. We need a boss to get in here and do something, right? Grace and lies bosses are infuriated. You think you want one? No, you don't. No, you don't. You want a workplace. Work, Grace and Lies bosses produce workplaces that are full of drama and conflict, just constantly unresolved. I mean, it's a horrible place to be, right? Or you get a hate and truth boss. It's like every morning you wake up afraid to look at your phone because there's gonna be an all caps text message that's like, you know, super, super lost. Like, why do you have to use all caps? You know what I mean? Why are you yelling? And your boss is like, I'm not yelling. This is just how I text, okay? I hit shift twice, always all caps at three in the morning, you know? And these bosses, they get stuff done, but you also have a lot of anxiety and have to go on Zoloft, you know what I mean? Like just to not have a panic attack walking into work, those bosses, you know? And parents... Different parents have different parenting styles. Some of you guys, you got your grace and lies parent. And you know what it is. You know they're mad, but they can't express it, and it's frustrating, and it's just, man, home is full of issues. Or you got a hate and truth parent. And you know what that is, too, and that's hard. Some of you guys have friend groups, and you can take all your friends, you know. This one's actually a little bit more common. Grace and lies a little bit more common. And people won't make plans, and everyone, what do you want to do? I don't know, what do you want to do? And then you get that one friend that's hate and truth. Well, I'm going to do what I want to do. Let's, everybody, we're going to do this. And nobody wants to do it, but they're just the only one that says something. So everybody does. It's like, wow, that was terrible. And they're like, I had a great time. You know what I mean? Y'all are losers. And when it goes south, it goes south in a hurry, doesn't it? Turns into hate and lies. And this is the world that we live in today, isn't it? Jesus came in grace, grace and truth, but the world defaults our sinful natures. It just defaults away from grace and truth, ultimately into hate and lies. Those of you who are astute can recognize there are some political undertones to this as well. And I'll pick probably the most uncontroversial of controversial political topics today, student loan forgiveness, right? It's a political, what does the left want? Grace and lies. Just forgive them, it's grace. We can print more money. What's wrong with that? Lies. They were victimized by the majors they chose. It wasn't their fault that gender studies major was like a tiger in the woods. It just came out and attacked them. They were the victim that they have a useless man. They went to that private school. It was like a tiger that just came out and got them and dragged them in there. They shouldn't have to pay those loans back. It's not their fault they took a $100,000 student loan that they can't, and the right tends towards hate and truth. Well, someone's got to pay for that. You know, they were the morons who chose the horrible major, went to the private school. They dug the hole. Make them figure out the solution. Don't force them to do that. 
They did it. It's all their fault. That's hate and truth. And the far left and the far right end up in the same space. And you can see this, right? Hate and lies demonizing each other. And human beings made in the image of God sit there and they're evil and treasonous. It's all their fault. No, it's their fault. You're ruining the country. No, you're ruining the country. No, you're ruining the democracy. No, you're ruining the democracy. No, you're racist. No, you're racist. No, you're a bigot. No, you're a bigot. That's what it is, you know? You got critical race theory over there. You got replacement theory over there, you know? And everybody's just sounding the exact same, isn't it? Isn't it funny how the farther out you get politically, the farther you, you get emotionally, the farther away from Christ's truth you get, you sound the exact same. And Jesus, in the middle of it, he comes out with grace and truth. And he says, look, they made horrible mistakes. Soon, well, you know, whatever. They, made, they picked a foolish man who was foolish. And they have to atone. They got to repent. They got to say, hey, look, I made a bad mistake. I bought into some foolish ideology. It's all my fault. And I think Jesus would say that there's grace when you confess your sin. He is the God of second chances. Again, the same is true for every political issue. I mean, for racism, the left tends towards grace and lies. The right tends towards truth and hate. Both sides end up full of lies and hatred towards each other. And rather than trying to build bridges, rather than trying to connect, we just get tribal. And that's what sin does, doesn't it? It pushes us to the extremes. God doesn't call sin, sin, because he wants to hurt you. He doesn't sit down and say, hey, you know what? I want you to miss out on everything fun in life. He wants you to have the best life. And sin is sin because it hurts relationships. This is what sin does. It pushes us away from grace and truth. It makes us tribal. It makes us look at our brothers and sisters, our cousins, our aunts, our uncles, our friends, and say, you're a terrible, horrible person. It's tribal. God made humans to love him and love each other. He told Abraham, one day all the nations of the earth would be blessed and be a part of God's family again. That's like the Christian movement. He told us in Matthew 28 to make disciples of all the nations in grace and truth. That's the mission of God. And one day in heaven, it will be every tongue, tribe, and nation fixing broken relationships and bringing people together. But I think a lot of Christians don't care because we lost sight of grace and truth and we're super ineffective at God's mission for our life. We don't care. We don't care. When we live in grace and lies as a Christian, we don't care about the nations because we don't think about God's wrath. We don't think about the fact that hell is real. When we live in hate and truth, we sit here and you're bad and you're terrible and you're this and that also doesn't build bridges. And this is what Christians are called to do though is reach the nations in grace and truth. 2,000 years ago, the world was an extremely brutal place. Brutal, brutal, terrible. Jesus changed that. I mean, 2,000 years ago, most people were slaves. Women had no rights. Children had no rights. Most children weren't even named until they were older. They were less valuable than cattle. They had no voice. They were abused rampantly. Child abuse was common on every level. Today, in non-Christian countries, it continues. I mean, we think, we take for granted all the things, even if you're an atheist, you take for granted all the things that Jesus has given to us. In non-Christian places, the world is still super brutal. Think about this, in China, you know, and Roe versus Wade is something I'm really passionate about in America today, but we're not getting into that, that's just a comment. There are 11 million fewer women than men in China today because over 11 million more women were aborted in utero. Think about that. Think about how women have taken the hard hit there. Atheist China has literally murdered millions of Uyghur people and countless Christians in concentration camps. Like the Holocaust in China is happening right now. China, you can read about it, is one of the most racist countries in human history. It's a horrible place. In much of the Muslim Middle East, anyone who is different is persecuted or in some cases beheaded and killed. Obviously, if you get beheaded, you're not going to live. In mostly atheist China, or mostly atheist Russia, corruption, racism, and warmongering are rampant. And Christianity changed that. It's this island in the sun. Places that are traditionally Christian, humans are valued. People who are different are confronted in grace and truth. That's what our law is built on. In English common law countries, it's grace and truth. 
because Jesus values every tongue, tribe, and nation. And listen, no other religion, no other movement does this. But Jesus calls us to value people. We take it for granted. We say this is a Jesus, this is, you know, just part of him. No, this is a Jesus thing. And even if you're an atheist, even if you hate Christians, even if you think Christians are terrible, you have Christians to thank for the fact that we value every tongue, tribe, and nation. When Jesus began using grace and truth to heal the world, everyone thought he was nuts. Said this is never gonna work. But grace and truth is one of the most powerful and effective weapons against evil and hate. It heals hatred. It builds bridges. It persuades people. It fixes brokenness. And it builds bridges between our enemies. And whenever we allow sin and our sin nature to pull us towards either end of this spectrum, we end up in a worse place. And we begin to exchange truth for lies and hate for grace. And we descend back into chaos. And this is the American way right now, isn't it? And when you look at American society, when you look at American culture, this is everybody all the time you turn it on. And what do we do? So many of us live in hate and lies. We look at people we disagree with and they're bad and they're evil and they're whatever. That's not gonna change anything. I mean, you think, oh my goodness, they called me a racist bigot. I'm gonna change my ways. Thank you, thank you for saying that. You just really persuaded me. No, it doesn't work. Hate and lies doesn't work. It doesn't build bridges. In our broken relationships with our fathers and mothers and wives and husbands, it doesn't work, does it? Oh man, my wife called me a mean jerk. You know what? Thank you, you're right. Like, I'm sorry, no. Romans 6, 23 puts it this way. It says, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Isn't that the truth? The wage of sin really is death. Hate and lies, war, bitterness, divorce, anger, polarization, tribalization, dehumanizing people who disagree with you. That's what we do. That is sin. That's why God calls sin, sin. That's why he's a brilliant, genius God who loves us. When he defined sin, it was out of love. It's an act of love for us. And I love the last part of the verse. The free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. How did Jesus give us eternal life? By grace and truth. His grace was his work on the cross. He gave us second chances. What is the truth? We must repent of our sin. We must turn from our sin to be a Christian. The work of God, the gospel of Jesus, it is a balance of grace and truth in our life. That's what he came for. That's what Christians are called to. Now, I know a lot of you are like, all right, pastor, that's fine. How do I actually walk in grace and truth, though? Like, I want to do it, but what do I got to do? How do we practice a habit? This is seven habits to become the best version of yourself. I want to do it. You got me convinced, but how do I actually do it? I'm glad you asked. I would like to show you, okay? And the answer is different for both groups of people, the left and the right. The answer is different, okay? For uh, truth and hate people, and this is me, this is me. And this group represents a smaller group of people than the other side. The other side is bigger. People who tend towards hate and truth, uh, who struggle with grace. Smaller group of people than the other side. There's a minority of us. Um, and also, the solution I'm going to give to you only works for about 90% of us. Because about 10% of us, 10% of the human population are sociopaths and narcissists. That's real. And uh, I, I don't have a solution for you today. We can talk about that later, but I'm not going into that. But this will work for most of us, vast majority of us. And um, years ago, I'm just going to be honest, I struggled intensely with hate and truth. I've always been a really driven hard worker. I mean, I get it done. I can get stuff done like nobody else. But I was constantly mad at everybody. Every morning I would wake up mad at everyone, disappointed by everyone. And I made a lot of people mad at me. And it got to this place where I needed counseling. I went and saw a counselor and uh, she helped me realize that my anger at everyone was really rooted in a deep anger at myself. A deep self-loathing. This was the big issue in my life. Every morning I woke up driven by a fear of failure and a hatred of how short I fell of my goals and ideals. And uh, the refrain in my head, and for hate and lies people, this is just, or um, for truth and, uh, 
truth and hate people, this is the refrain that you'll hear. And a lot of you, this is what it is. Ah, you're so stupid. You're such a failure. You're such a disappointment. How could you? Why would you? You're so, you should be ashamed of yourself. And this is the refrain that I often hear. This is like, you know, what I like to sing, the anthem to myself in the morning. And naturally, I would take that out on everyone else. Every time I meet somebody, I take it. My counselor helped me realize how I treated everybody because of this internal dialogue. And, uh, you know, when you wake up in the morning that way, there's just a rain cloud above your head. And that led me down a path of not just asking for forgiveness, but learning each morning to receive forgiveness. My counselor challenged me to receive forgiveness. I had no problem asking for forgiveness. And big, strong lions like me, um, what you'll notice about us is we have no problem admitting that we're wrong. And it's frustrating in an argument. You're like, you're right, I'm so sorry. It's like, why did you apologize so fast? You know, why do you do that? Um, We have no problem admitting that we're wrong because we hate ourselves, right? The big problem is receiving forgiveness receiving forgiveness. And my counselor said, John, don't just make a list of the things that you've done wrong, but that's what I do in the morning. God, forgive me for this, for this, for this. The real challenge was, God, I receive your forgiveness for this, for this, for this, and for this. And then I'd say, God, I forgive myself as well. And this procedure wasn't something I had to go through once. It's something that I will walk through sometimes even daily, and it's made my life much better. Because here's the truth. If you struggle with giving grace, you can't give what you don't have. You can't give what you don't have. I think there's a lot of us, truth and hate people, we try to give grace to others, but we're so mad at ourselves. We're so mad at ourselves that we can't give it until we receive it from God. Turn hate into grace by receiving grace from God. And listen, if you're married to a big, scary, aggressive monster like me, if you've got a father or a mother or a brother or a sister or a friend in your life who is, I want you to know, and most people don't realize this, but there is a fearful, self-loathing person in there who hates themselves. And it's much harder to open our hearts to receive grace because we think we don't deserve it. And I wanna call you, truth and hate people, to start receiving grace from Jesus, to receive grace from Jesus. Now, second group of you, this is grace and lies. You gotta turn lies back into truth. And this is where my wife is. This is where the majority of people are at. And again, I got a solution for 90% of you, 10% of you, you're narcissists and sociopaths. And that's a whole, that's a whole nother deal. It's a big problem in the American population, really, truly. But um, I'm not gonna address that today. This problem right here is not a self-loathing problem. That's not what it is. And a lot of you are like, but pastor, I mean, I hate myself. I'm such a doormat. All I do is subject myself to pain and problems. Like I'm not, it's uh, definitely, definitely. A, and I, I say, no, it's not a self-loathing problem. It's something that you're not gonna expect and is gonna offend you, but the problem is pride. It's pride. It's the belief that I'm a good person. It's not my fault. I don't need to change. I'm here to fix people. I'm the one who's the fixer. You know, I put up with the mean one and I'm the, and everybody in your life says, good job to put up with that monster. Way to go, Kristen, your husband. Way to stick with them. You know, you keep doing it. And, then, and the problem is, well, it's not me, it's them. You know, it's, I mean, it's them and I'm here. And we, because of our pride, we lie to ourselves and we think I can fix their problems. It's not really that big a deal. I just have to put up with it. You know, I got to carry it anyways. It's not going to make a difference. So I'll just keep my mouth shut. It is them, but you know, I'm the victim. I'm the victim. And this is, if you are a great, and lies person, you believe that you are a victim all the time. That's what you believe. Not all the time, but a lot of the time. This mentality has led America to the brink. It's made a bunch of unconfrontable people. It's wrecked marriages. It led my wife down a terrible road of brokenness and broken relationships where she felt she was always a victim and could not grow as a person. One day she did something so bad that she realized she was indeed a sinner and she received God's grace and she turned back into truth. If you wanna turn your lies into truth, you have to walk in the truth. You need to do that by facing the truth in your own life that you're a sinner because you can't give truth when you don't have truth. 
Well, the truth is that we fall short of God's glorious standard in our lives. Confess sin to God daily. Compare yourself to God's standard. You might say, I'm good compared to other people. No, that's not what you're called to do. You compare yourself to God's holiness and say, God, I'm a sinner. Help me see where I fall short. Help me walk in true humility and help me point the finger at myself and not at other people. I'm not a victim. God, I receive your grace. Grace and lies, people, truth and hate, people. We can't reach the nations except by grace and truth. This is where mission comes from in our life. And the way that Satan derails Christians from mission is causing us to lose sight of grace and truth. No matter what your beliefs are in the polarized war we live in, world we live in, we will only make it worse by not walking in grace and truth. Even if you're an atheist, even if you don't believe in God, you believe the superstition that something can come from nothing and intelligent design can come from no intelligence, which I don't have enough faith to follow the religion of atheism. But even if you're an atheist, you can look at the empirical, historical fact that grace and truth from Jesus has changed the world. It has. Like this process, this mentality of grace and truth has changed the world. And if we want to reach the nations today, or if you want to see America be less full of hatred and polarization, or if you want to see drama reduce in your family, you have to start walking in grace and truth again. Telling people who are hurting themselves, well, love is love. Just listen to your heart. Do what makes you happy. It's not going to work. That's grace and lies. The data on God's plan for all of life. God calls sin, sin, and empirically on a data level, on a scientific level, we can see God's plan for finances, God's plan for relationships, for sexuality, for gender. It's all clear. God's plan is best. Shouting at people on street corners, through Twitter, you're a bigot, you're a racist, cancel this. That's not, that's truth and hate. It's not going to work. Nobody's persuaded by that. Grace and lies and hate and truth, they're both different ends of the same thing. Sin and selfishness. They both hurt relationships. But if we want to reach the nations, we've got to walk in grace and truth. So some questions for you. And you guys on all of your blue cards have a QR code that you can take a picture of that brings us up. And I know so many of you guys are doing it. I'm just so thankful. It's actually grace and lies, okay? I know so many of you are gonna do it. That's optimistic, hopeful future belief. Um, you take a picture of your QR code, get the questions. And there's actually some hidden bonus questions in there that aren't even here, because I want you to have, I'm not gonna tell you what they are. You gotta take a picture of the QR code. But the three that are included in there, are, number one, do you have a heart for the nations? If you are a Christian, you should have a heart for the nations. This is the mission of God in the Bible. We should care about the nations. Think about that. Secondly, what part of grace and truth do you struggle with? If you struggle with one or the other, all your friends already know. You can just ask them. They'll be like, yeah, this is mom. This is, I mean, definitely, definitely truth and hate. Please, you scare me. Um, okay, whatever it is. And it can be different things in different areas too. But number three, what do you need to do this week to get back to the center of grace and truth? I got a closing challenge for you guys. <clears throat> We have a missions table in the lobby and uh, it's over there. There's a video playing. I think my dad is uh, by it. Janelle, one of our missionaries is there too. But at the missions table, we have this little card right here. And this is an opportunity for you to go on a vision trip, to go and see the nations, to see God's movement in the nations. And listen, I know some of you guys are like, my kids are just so self-centered. They just sit there and whatever, like take them on a missions trip. Don't take them to Sandals. Don't take them to Atlantis. Don't take them to Disney World. Let them see it's a small world. Let them get a heart for the nations by going into the small world. Nothing will change your heart more than seeing third world poverty and recognizing the goodness of God and the movement of God in all the nations of the earth. Please consider it. I think we're doing a trip to Guatemala really soon. I'd love to have you guys be a part of it, but you can just sign up and get more information. I want our church to have a heart for the nations. And I want us to live in grace and truth on the mission of God for our lives. As we close, please stand to your feet at Hebron, at the jail, online, to Mount Wheatfield. Let's pray. God in heaven, I thank you so much 
for the incredible mission that you give to us in life. Thank you for giving us informed faith, not blind faith. Thank you for the order that your mission brings to the world and to our lives. Help us to be a people of grace and truth in a polarized, hurting, broken world. God, I ask that you would use our church to bring healing, to build bridges, to reach people far from God to the ends of the earth. Make us a people that care about the people that you made in your image, regardless of what nation or background they're a part of. In Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said, amen and amen. Let's sing this last song together.